Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good morning to you, wherever you may be around the world. And Al, that's kind of weird to say good morning. We're usually in the evening or afternoon here. But welcome to this special edition of Lighthouse Live on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Mike Douglas with you, along with our faithful prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Al, Al Ramsey, and our special guest today, a longtime friend and uh, pastor and missionary to Slovenia, Todd Honeycutt. Todd, welcome back. Good to have you with us. Good to see you. And I, I was looking back in our archives. Uh, our first visit with you as uh, in, in regards to Slovenia was in December of 2006, and then we came back in uh, December of 2007 uh, for an update. So it's been a while since we have the chance to, to visit with you. And uh, so we'll be talking to Todd in just a couple of minutes uh, about the history of Slovenia itself, uh, the former parts of uh, Yugoslavia there. And uh, we'll also be talking about uh, where where Todd is uh, going and being called in his ministry. And just some uh, wonderful updates coming up. Also how you can track with Todd and his family and uh, pray for them and support them as they uh, as they execute the uh, wonderful ministry that God has given them in this wonderful place called Slovenia. And, and what we found, Todd, is it's a beautiful place. It's a lovely place. There is incredible country there, isn't it? It's the southernmost range of the Alps. So if you think of the Alps, if you think of those first few minutes of the sound of music, that's pretty much what it looks like. <laughs> but on the spiritual side, it's a little different. A little different. I remember uh, we we took a little uh, boat on Lake Bled. Is that mm-hmm. right? Right to uh, and rang the bell at the the church there, and that was some great adventures. There, there's a there was an encounter of the spiritual kind as well that, that we had, and I'll talk about that in that coming up. Right now, though, we want to check in very briefly with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with the story of another real-life Jesus freak. Because she's a Christian, Liebia spends much of the 1970s in a Russian prison and comes to expect the nightly whippings from the faceless guard. But one night she looks into his weary face and sees how he, too, is tired of the beatings. A voice tells Liebia to forgive this man, for God loves him, too. So as he lifts his whip, she lifts her head and smiles. The man is stunned, and Liebia says, I see you as you once were, a beautiful, innocent child. And I see you as I hope you will be. She then tells the guard how Saul of Tarsus had been a torturer, but was changed by God. That night, the guard's life is also changed forever. Get a global perspective from the voice of the martyrs. Go online to persecution.com. And back with you live here on Lighthouse Live again, friends. uh, We encourage you to pray for the persecuted church around the world. And Todd, you know, it just brings to to mind, we, we have really luxury here. Uh, stateside, we have irritations <laughs> legally, you know, certainly, but uh, nothing compared to what's happening in the rest of the world. A great reminder that there are places uh, in, in Europe, 
in the Middle East where uh, Christians daily are putting their lives on the line for the gospel. That's right. There's so many places uh, in today's world, and there's so many places where persecution is bringing about revival and people turning to Christ. Um, you know, I can just say like in Slovenia, it's not a place where you're going to have the police beaten down your door, but um, I can think of certain people who, uh, many young people, I should say, who have been very persecuted by their families for their faith, uh, thrown out of the house mm. or disowned mm. by certain family members simply because um, Slovenia has a Catholic past, and like many nations, whatever the dominant religion is becomes part of their identity rather than about personal faith in the God of the of the Bible. So uh, we, we can see it even in Slovenia. We'll get into the uh, history in just a second, Todd, but just to help people orient themselves geographically, and, and correct me because I'm digging way back here geographically, uh, we have uh, the Adriatic Sea. Mm-hmm. Right and uh, to the south, and then uh, uh, bordering Slovenia, uh, Italy. That's right on the west. And uh, then going uh, north a little bit, uh, we have Austria, Austria, and then Hungary. Hungary, a little bit of Hungary. A little bit of Hungary. The south is Croatia. Croatia. That's right. Beautiful beaches in Croatia. Well, yeah, I must say, as a Californian, uh, there well, are a lot of sandy beaches, but there are, are lots of beaches and just thousands, literally a thousand islands in, uh, in Croatia. Yeah, it's just, uh, an incredible, uh, geography there. Let's turn stateside just for a second now and, uh, check in with our friend Brad Dacus from the Pacific Justice Institute. It's time for The Legal Edge, a look at your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. And now with a look at what's happening on the legal front, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Pacific Justice Institute was encouraged to find that the recent Hobby Lobby decision not only strengthened the religious rights of business owners, but also benefits churches. In the process of interpreting the Federal Religious Freedom Restoration Act, the statute invoked to rule in favor of Hobby Lobby, the Supreme Court referenced the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act, or ALUPA. The court stated that federal protection of church property rights goes even further than the First Amendment. If any pastors or churches are being stymied by local officials in expanding or relocating, contact PGI for highly effective assistance. I'm Brad Dacus. To find out more about The Legal Edge, call 916-857-6900 or log on at pacificjustice.org. You know, Todd, there's always this this tenuous balance, this dynamic tension I think we have uh, between honoring uh, the government, which we're instructed to do, but also uh, taking the freedoms that are given to us and exercising those when they're appropriate. Certainly the Apostle Paul uh, took advantage of that in, in terms of his Roman citizenship, and Pacific Justice Institute, I think, does a, a great job of that. And it's just a reminder that uh, the work that they do is pro bono, and they have attorneys up and down California. They've been involved in many, not only of uh, California cases, but around the country as, as well. So we encourage you to check out what Brad Dacus is doing again uh, with the Pacific Justice Institute. You know, if I could jump in there, just uh, just before coming on the air here, I was with some friends, old friends over at Perco's, uh, who are all teachers. And uh, they were just speaking about how the freedoms that they have as teachers to 
uh, speak about their faith in an appropriate contextualized way. And they were just encouraging one another. And I was excited about that because, mm. you know, coming from Europe where, okay, there's, there's a church building everywhere, you know, in Slovenia, especially you could probably see a church building from any spot in Slovenia. But that doesn't mean that they're evangelical churches. That doesn't mean they're Bible-believing, salvation by grace, uh, through faith kind of churches. And um, so to come back here and, oh, man, you know, uh, take any, you know, we have about a 1,000 evangelicals in Slovenia. And just to drive through Modesto to see the mass of churches or just the simply the number of churches, thinking about the impact that could be happening on Modesto for if the believers were to be activated. And just this morning, it was so exciting to sit with these guys who are passionate about reaching the students that they are, that they have an influence on. And I was excited about that. I hope that more teachers that are out there would say, you know what? I'm not going to be afraid of the, uh, of, of the media and all of that that's, that's swirling around. You do have a lot of freedom. You do have a lot of leeway and, uh, and you can in appropriate uh, contextualized way uh, share your faith. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one, one of the organizations locally that is really helping with that process is our local Youth for Christ. Here in Stanislaus County, Rick Fritz Meyer and, and his wonderful crew. In fact, they have been asked to set the standards for uh, church participation in uh, the public school system. And I think just a, a, a wonderful partnership there to be invited in to, uh, to do that. And you, you know, we do need to respect some boundaries. You know, uh, and again, there's that balance between our, our free speech and, and working within the system. And so I, Rick, Rick and his uh, crew are doing just a great job. That's great. That, that's a great organization. I also, one of the brothers was talking about another group. Um, oh, what's it called? Young Life. That's, Young Life, that's sure. also in the region that's yeah. doing a great work. And then even just one of the guys who doesn't have any connection to either of those groups, he was just telling us about what he's doing at his high school and we were just blown away. So <laughs> whether it's with in cooperation with others or with, it seemed like a lot of these guys, they were talking about the need for just the teachers on the campus to start praying, to start uh, talking and maybe getting in t- contact with Youth for Christ, Young Life, one of those groups, and to say, hey, what could we do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Todd, we want to talk uh, a bit about the history of Slovenia because that uh, plays into uh, your new history uh, with them. And to do that, we have a little bit of mood music for you here. Now we're in the mood here. And now you say Todd. play ball because that was the uh, <laughs> national anthem of Slovenia. Very Absolutely. Nice. And, and 
what's amazing to me, Todd, is you have apparently mastered the language, able to preach in Slovene now, and uh, I want to ask you to translate the national anthem there on the, on the fly. But. The national anthem is interestingly written by a man who uh, lived in the town where I live, Kran. His name was Franze Prescheren. He was a uh, a lawyer. He was uh, an alcoholic. And uh, but about a hundred and whatever years ago, he was probably their best poet. Now he wasn't that well known in his lifetime, but like many artists, after his life, uh, he um, he became more famous. And this is actually called zdralica, which is means the the like cheers, like a and toast. So, yeah, a toast. Mm-hmm. And there's many verses, many verses all about all sorts of stuff. But the final verse is uh, about nations coming together and being united. And so it isn't so much yay, we Slovenes are so awesome. It's more about the nations of the world coming together and uh, making the world a better place. So it's actually a pretty inspiring text, even if you know it's not quite the Star Spangled Banner for the rest of our listeners. <laughs> Now, I would assume that this was written after the independence from Yugoslavia, or no, no, was no, it written prior to that? Far, far in far the past, far okay. in the era where uh, an issue of independence would have been uh, merely a pipe dream. Because Slovenia, since around the year 800, when they invited the Frankish kingdom to help protect them from some of these incoming uh, hordes of barbarians, well, they never left, and uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire was born out of that. So essentially, Slovenia was absorbed into uh, that the Habsburg Empire for a thousand years. And so while they absorbed some of the values, the Germanic cleanliness, hardworking, all of that good stuff values, they kept their language. And so people like Prasheran or um, Tsankar or some of these other guys, they're the people who are on, who were on their old money before they took on the euro. Some of them are still, but... Uh, because they don't have generals. They don't have Washington or Lincoln. Mm. They have the poets who would be their heroes because it was the only thing that united them. Interesting. And uh, their independence, early 1990s? Yeah, that's right. Giant? So yeah. if the Berlin Wall fell in 89, uh, in uh, the latter part of December 1990, Slovenia first, then Croatia said, you know what? We're getting nothing out of this Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia means South Slavs. So Yuga South. And uh, Milosevic was in power then in Belgrade, and they were saying, you know, this is a Serbian country. Uh, this is a Serbian confederation run by Serbs, but we don't want anything to do with that. So in June, they, they had a, a quick war, a 10-day war that they quickly got out of the, the Yugoslav Federation with. But as you may remember, you're probably thinking, why have I never heard of Slovenia? Well, that's because what happened after the 10 days. Slovenia breaks off 10 days of war. Uh, Milosevic says, fine, you guys go off. Because historically they were never part of the southern countries. The mm. southern countries were part of the Turkish Ottoman Empire for a thousand years. However, that's when the bloodbath started. And that's when Croatians and Bosnians mm. and Serbs, who were all mixed in those nations, uh, started the, the war that you remember so well from the 1990s. Culturally, Roman Catholic. Yeah. You could you could say that Catholicism permeates every aspect of culture. I remember mm-hmm. one of the guys in our Trubar forum, we'll talk about Trubar in just a minute, he was speaking to a room of atheists, and I just remember him saying, everyone in this room is Catholic. And he went on to with a lecture to describe how the Catholic mindset 
um, can influence a culture and really, really affect everything about a culture. Mm. Let's talk about True Bar because uh, tremendous effect there, and you've done incredible research. Yeah, I, I was a student at Stan State of the Reformation. That was my, hist- my, my history major focus under, you know, Doctors Rasmussen and Stengel, Stenzel <laughs> and all those guys. Um, but um, I never heard of True Bar. Obviously, I studied Calvin and Luther and Zwingli and those guys. But when I got to Slovenia and I couldn't read Slovene, I was cracking open my Lonely Planet guide to Slovenia, reading a little <laughs> bit of the history, and I heard about True Bar. And um, always struck me as, wow, this is something I don't hear anyone talking about. And so in around 2006 or seven, we discovered that 2008 would be his 500th birthday. We thought, well, we need to do something here. So we formed the True Bar Forum and started translating his books. His books are very evangelistic, very simple, basic gospel. He's not a theological innovator. He's not going to, you know, Luther and Zwingli and Calvin were all discussing things like, well, what is the nature of the Eucharist? You know, is it the real presence of Christ or is it merely symbolic or whatever? True Bar says, do the Lord's Supper. Mm. He's a very mm. simple gospel guy because he was speaking to peasants for whom Slovene was just their home language. German was the language of education. And um, so he writes a very simple gospel. We started translating his books. Uh, first one published, we did it in 2008, a second in 2009, then came up with a really inexpensive paperback version. And this year we're translating a third book. And it's just great. I mean, it's really a divine thing that God has placed within the culture that, um, you know, Slovenia was, div- what we call Slovenia today, was divided across three provinces of what was the Austro-Hungarian Empire. They had no identity. They didn't even know that they were a people. And so when Trubar, in the very first sentence of the first Slovene book, says, To all Slovenes, grace, peace, mercy, and the true knowledge of God, through Jesus Christ, I pray for you. You can just imagine those hearing it, because they weren't educated, to all Slovenes, and they probably looked at each other and thought, well, who are the Slovenes? Wow. Oh, oh, you mean we're the Slovenes? You mean this strange language that we speak at home with grandma is actually a people group? And this guy who has now been exiled into Germany... Uh, created essentially a literary language out of his home dialect, and now we can all read the Bible in it? Oh, interesting. So since then, we've done many things, uh, uh, getting into schools and public publishing and into the media, trying to maximize all of that. Here's just a fun little side thing. Um, 2017, October 31st, 2017, will be the 500th anniversary of what we might call the start of the Reformation. It was on that day that Martin Luther walked up to the church door in Wittenberg and nailed onto there a list of 95 theses, 95 reasons, that he thought that the Catholic Church should not be selling indulgences and some of the abuses that were going on at that time. You know what? In 2017, especially in Europe, but I wonder about here too, there's going to be more interest in the Reformation, in history. In So what was the message of all of that about? Mm. And uh, so we're already talking about what can we do. We're talking with um, other countries as well, saying, you know, is there some broad emphasis that we could have? And uh, we think that it's going to be a great opportunity. Well, certainly in Europe, uh, you know, which was the the explosion, the catalyst there. And, and, and let's talk a little bit, uh, having been there for quite a few years now, Todd. What happened spiritually? Here we have uh, the cradle of the Reformation and so many great thinkers. Uh, what happened to that spiritual fervor 
over the years in Europe? Well, for some, uh, they got more hepped up about theological differences. They got hepped up about the, the minutia of what uh, could be possible, possible interpretations of what the Bible is about. Um, some got very uh, radical. Uh, many of the Anabaptist movements that, you know, from which many of us evangelicals would consider our roots, they got a little nutty. You know, some of them were rather apocalyptic and living in communes as if the world was about to end and doing strange things. And so the more uh, mainline churches, let's say the Lutheran, others, they were actually against the other reformers. And so there was a splintering that happened over the years. And we all know wars of religion happened in Europe mm -hmm. and just kind of gave a great distaste. You know, the, the French Revolution came along and gave a, a strong impetus to atheism. And um, some of that early fervor was, 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 was lost over the years. Some places, like Slovenia, it was simply forcibly re-Catholicized. The Austrian army swept in after, after the Slovenes and all of the other peoples in that region helped the Austro-Hungarian uh, Habsburgs to push the Ottoman Empire back. Then they said, okay, now we're going to enforce the Treaty of Augsburg, which says whatever religion the ruler is, Everybody under him is that religion. Mm. You're all re-Catholicized. If you don't want to be that, you, we will send you out of the country, or at least to, to the Hungarian side of the empire, where there's a little more liberal aspect there. And um, the rest of you, you're going to become Catholics again. One interesting story I heard from a pastor was that in a town near me, there was a father who told his son a story that from the time of the Reformation, their family has been Protestant. But they've been worshiping as Catholics, you know, nominal Catholics, as is typical in Slovenia. And that uh, somewhere when the son became an adult, the father would tell to the eldest son, you can't tell anyone else this, but uh, we're actually Protestant. Or our family was given to Christ. We were born again. And even though, you know, remember, this is the time of... First, in the early centuries, obviously, re-Catholicization, the Counter-Reformation, very much political pressure. But then even the time of um, communism and all of that, it wasn't the time, I guess, this father felt, these fathers felt to change things. But when freedom came, he said, you know what, actually, we're Protestant. Mm. So some of them kept a, a, a modicum of faith even throughout centuries. And Todd, what drew you to Slovenia so many years ago, something uh, God put in your heart just drew you to that country. What what was that? Well, the first thing is uh, when I was 19, I got Hodgkin's disease, cancer, and uh, while going to Stan State, was going through chemo and radiation and all of that. And uh, when you're facing, it was it was either paralysis or death were two possibilities mm -hmm. in the in those early stages. Um, you you sense that life is short. And you sense that um, maybe you should do something with your life grander than maybe your dreams had been. And so that's what happened to me. And over several years, started investigating different options and eventually settled on just the idea of missions, that the idea of, yeah, going to some place where the gospel is not preached or, or not broadly known, that would be great because, you know, there are uh, like 4,000 people groups in the world today. People groups, not just, not just peoples or cities, but people groups that have no gospel witness. Or there's, uh, more than half of the languages of the world don't even have one, one verse of the Bible in them. Or right around half of the languages of the world, about 3,000. So those kind of statistics stirred my heart and thought, you know what, I need to do something about that. Started traveling around to different countries, uh, investigating different opportunities. We worked here at Modesto Junior College in Stan State with international students, got contacts there, visited many of them back in their home countries. 
but it's one of those things. Uh, if if you if your listeners here know missionaries, sometimes they have a sense of a call to a place. You know, mm-hmm. when I was seven, God said, "Go to China." I never had that call. Um, however. If you'll recall, oh, maybe, you know, what what was that, 15, 17 years ago, there was a thing that we were really uh, focused on here in Modesto uh, called the Church of Modesto. And we kind of had a perspective that we were all one church. I'm sure that perspective still exists. What a concept. Yeah, what a concept. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just pulled my Church of Modesto t-shirt out the other night. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, and then there was Ed Silvoso yes. and the prayer movements. In fact, that's where our program first started, right? Right, uh, the exactly. Lighthouse Live uh, program. Right, and uh, and all of that kept growing. And I eventually became for Modesto, kind of the Church of Modesto coordinator. I remember walking into the 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 executive committee meetings, and I'd have a long list of ideas. Most of them would get shot down, <laughs> but then uh, <laughs> some things would get implemented. And you know, it was interesting. Since 1975, I've been a member over at First Baptist Cross Point Church. I love my home church. But in that, those years here in Modesto, I developed a love for the church. Mm. I developed a love for Jesus' church. Mm. I developed a love for the body of Christ. I developed a vision for what could happen, uh, going to those pastor's prayer meetings, the pastor's prayer summits, all of that. And so when the opportunity for Slovenia came, which is one of those countries that was forgotten in the push of missions after the fall of the wall, uh, Romania, thousands, you know, hundreds of missionaries went in there. We used to serve six months in Albania, hundreds of missionaries there. People just literally ran right through Slovenia to get to these very needy, well-known, often poverty-stricken countries where, you know, they just ran through uh, rather affluent, nice Slovenia. And uh, so we fell in love with that country in the sense of, Here's kind of a blank slate, and we could do some stuff there. And there was a group out of Budapest who said, we need someone to come and connect dots, to coordinate, to, mm. to develop a network of relationships around the, the country. And I thought, well, you know, in a sense, that's kind of what I did and we were doing in Modesto. Right. So in so many ways, what's happened in Slovenia in the last 13 years is a copy or a, a fruit of what was happening 13, 15 years ago here in Modesto. So I'm very thankful for that. Along with that, I would just say that um, uh, pastors who, who in, in a moment of candor there in Slovenia, will say, man, you know what, literally, Slovenia is a different country than it was wow. a decade ago. Wow. Praise the Lord for that. Mm. And they will be quick to say that the reason for that is because of prayer. Mm. Um, the things that, that we did and we have done are simply because of prayer. When, when we bow our heads together in prayer between churches, you know, different believers, pastors, ministry leaders, as we see in Slovenia, um, we're humbled. We come before the Almighty God and we say, Lord, you know, we are not satisfied with the, the situation in our city, in our country. We want you to do something amazing. We have our own ministries. We have our own ideas about what could and should happen, but we place it before your altar. And um, so in Slovenia, since what was it, 2002, started a prayer meeting, a monthly prayer meeting in the capital. And there have been a few other groups that have started across the country. Remember, this is a tiny country, so you can get across it. It's about the size of what, New Jersey maybe? New Jersey or Israel. Israel? So it's it's a tiny, tiny place. You can get across the country. Population? Two million. Two million, okay. Two million. So we started that prayer meeting, and you saw a lot of um, conflict. You saw a lot of kind of dancing around each other. This is missionaries, pastors, ministry leaders coming. But over time, you saw forgiveness. You saw relationships Mm -hmm. being built. 
And um, to the point where we've done some pretty major evangelistic outreaches as the united body of Christ there, or at least, I can't say the, the united body of Christ, but churches who are willing to work together, who have a heart to, uh, to reach out. Uh, some of the two major events that we did, some of you may be familiar with uh, Emerson and Sarah Egerich oh, yeah. and the Love and Respect curriculum. I know they've been here in the Central Valley many times. We had gone to their seminar many years ago. Uh, a fellow pastor there in Slovenia invited them to come. We ha- had an organization. We started an organization and uh, probably had four or 5,000 people come to those wow. events, which is, you know, rather dramatic in Slovenia. And uh, small groups have started out, out of that. Many, again, many of the churches who grabbed on, they took the love and respect video curriculum and kept going with small groups are seeing massive fruit from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, other churches just expected the event to do all the work for them, and they haven't quite <laughs> seen the fruit and are wondering, hey, why did we have that big event? And another big event we had, you may have heard of Nick Vujicic. He's an Australian uh, Serb, actually ethnic Serb, born with no arms and no legs. might have seen him on YouTube. Well, uh, he was invited to Slovenia as well. Again, this group of, especially three of us that kind of uh, do these major events, he's come to Slovenia twice. And between all of the events, I'd say we've had well over 20,000 people come mm-hmm. uh, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from a man who is essentially their cousin. Serbs are, you know, eth- ethnically, culturally, historically kind of like cousins. So he was very warmly welcomed into the country, and uh, many people came to those events. However, that could not have happened, and a dozen other things that I could tell you about without simply bowing our heads in prayer and saying, God, we're broken, our country is broken, um, we need to. We need your spirit to, to come in, and we need you to use us. It really shaped perspectives, and it continues to today. You know, Todd, I think one of the interesting dynamics of uh, the megachurch in America is that we can become so self-reliant uh, that we have all the resources we need that the taking the time to level the playing field with the smaller congregations and taking the sacrificing the time to be with them and get to know them and uh, to really come before the Lord as a body, you know, taking the titles away, taking the numbers away, and just that is a powerful dynamic that unfortunately sometimes gets lost in the huge numbers that uh, that we have. I agree. And even at, even at lower levels, I would say that... Um Whatever ministry you're involved in, or if you're not, hey, get get active. Mm-hmm. But whatever ministry you're involved in, what role does prayer really take in that? Mm-hmm. Are you? Um, and I have to admit, for myself personally, my prayer life, my personal prayer life, it goes up and down. Uh, I'm, I can pray for a longer period of time. I can forget to pray for periods of time. But when I'm when when I get in the mindset of if I'm working with these brothers, we need to pray, and not merely in the sense of let's start our meeting and let's close our meeting with right. a perfunctory uh, bookend of prayer, but to really seek the Lord together and to say, you know what, we've been yabbering for an hour now. What are we going to do uh, to turn to the turn to the Lord and really make prayer a key part of that? I was just talking with a friend last week who has this passion for the role of prayer, reliance on the Lord, because all throughout history, he was reminding me, and we all know this, all throughout history, um, you know, revival movements and major movements of the Spirit were done by small groups of people who simply started bowing their heads together. Like these brothers this morning, uh, they were saying they were just uh, getting, to, there's one brother, I won't name the high school, group of teachers got together and they said, we need to just pray for our students. Mm. We need to do something. And they literally prayed together for a year. Wow. 
before this ministry came alongside and started helping them. And they were like, well, hey, that was totally the fruit of the prayer. Yeah, but we don't want to pay the price of prayer. We just want to get going. And there's a lost world out there. And what can we do and what programs can we have? Those are all good things. But what role does prayer play in the in the ministry that you're involved in? I remember you mentioned El Silvoso a couple of minutes ago, Todd. And I don't know if you recall it. You may back in 1997 uh-huh. uh, when he came out. He warned us. He said, you know, you, you start this lighthouse of prayer thing, the enemy isn't going to lay down and just let you roll with this. He's going to raise his ugly head, and he's going to provide you with opposition. And for the most part, we said, oh, yeah, we know that. And and we had no idea. We had we no, had idea, no idea, and we got whacked. Yeah. And But that was through that came a, a renewed sense of humbleness, hmm. Uh, a sense of community, a sense of a need for each other, Amen. and uh, to never put our signature on what God does. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think there was uh, there was fruit out of that uh, out of that time. But coming back to this, Todd, the issue of prayer is so foundational, and it oftentimes, ironically, oftentimes the hardest thing to do to get pastors together uh, to focus on on quote just praying. Mm-hmm. It's foundational. It, it, it really is. And for those of you who may be listening around the country, around the world, we just encourage you to pray about that aspect. In your uh, sphere of influence, it, it, it really, uh, we, we, we can't go ahead with strategies and programs without that very strong, humble, sacrificial foundation of prayer. It's just absolutely essential. That's right. I saw it here in Modesto. I've seen it in mm. Slovenia. It's a model that I would proclaimed anyone as well that uh, yeah simply because if you try to get a bunch of guys in the same room you may uh, we're speaking of ministry leaders but you, again this could be in whatever level of ministry you're at and you try to get them to get on the same page you may or may not there may be some relationship you may if you're on higher levels you may even try to talk theology and statements of faith and all of these things but often you know in recent centuries uh, the gospel gets lost in that or maybe the gospel doesn't get lost, but it's simply what we can do. But prayer really does all of that, or it's the foundation that, that branches into that. Every uh, uh, f- Usually the first Monday in the month when we gather in, in Ljubljana, the capital of Slovenia, for prayer, um, I'll, I send out just a simple email, hey, we're meeting on Monday, hope to see you. Uh, sorry, Tuesday, Tuesday. And um, we changed it to Tuesday because pastors have to get their kids to school. Um, <laughs> at the end of the time, we're going to talk about this upcoming thing. And so we'll just have a quick conversation about, you know, this upcoming opportunity. And then I'll just say, hey, well, who's got something going on? Will those guys stay another half hour to an hour just chatting? Mm-hmm. So it isn't that right. they're... Their their lives are so busy, and their lives are as busy as ours are. It isn't that their lives are so busy that they simply couldn't come, but they came for the prayer, and they stayed for the relationship, and other ministries and uh, networks were born out of that. Well, it's amazing what God has birthed out of the prayer movement here in uh, in the greater Modesto area. Just You go back and track it, and there's just you know the community marriage policy. and this, mm-hmm. uh, Even here, Advancing Vibrant Communities yeah, was birth, birthed out of this. So uh, before we go on, let's talk about your family, uh, your wife. And, and how old is your daughter now, Lily? Uh, Lily's now 10. Oh, I'll my show goodness. you a picture there. We can't show your viewers there. That's right. I'm going I'm to hold it up to the microphone. Uh, so everybody lovely can little see daughter, right Lily. Right. She's 10 years old. 10 She's years going into old. fifth grade in Good a Slovene night. language school. Wow. Doing well in that. And Sarah, we've been there, yeah. Sarah and I have been there 13 years. Lily came along a couple years later. Um, we have uh, teammates there. They actually live a couple hours away, but uh, we, we partner with them in a lot of these national outreaches. 
And we have some very specific goals that we want to reach. And who knows how much longer the Lord would have us be there. You know, another, you know, our, our original plans uh, many years ago were through 2020. But we'll see what, what the Lord has for us. And Todd, how can people track with you? You, you send out, by the way, some wonderful newsletters, often with uh, pictures and illustrations and such. How can people get in touch with you and, and track with you? Well, the easiest way is just through email. It is us at CompuServe.com. Yes, believe it or not, actually. Still, still using CompuServe. CompuServe. <laughs> it's one of the many emails we have, but just thought, eh, it's a free one. It is us at CompuServe.com. Is probably the easiest way. Yeah, we, we really feel that it's part of our ministry as missionaries overseas to inform friends back here about what's actually happening. Uh, we also use Facebook as well. We have a, a, a secret, they call it a secret Facebook page where we put even more current prayer needs because, um, you know, it's one thing. I was just at, at a church the other night speaking to the men's group and sharing and, and I said, I realize that you won't even remember my talk uh, a couple weeks from now. Or even if you do, you'll just go, yeah, that missionary over there. But if we have an ongoing relationship through social media, through email, I can send you specific information about which you can pray. And you can join the battle for Slovenia. I mean, Slovenia has one of the smallest percentages of evangelicals in the world. Uh, mission mission geeks like myself, we talk about the 1040 window, mm-hmm. North Africa, Middle East, Southeast Asia as having 90 percent of those who are poorest and most unreached and um, most of the world, all of the world's major non-Christian religions, the darkest part of the world, the place where we need to be sending missionaries rather than another place. Amen. Hallelujah. And yet most of those countries have more evangelicals per capita than Slovenia. Interesting. So, you know, Iran and Iraq and Tajikistan and Saudi Arabia have more evangelicals per capita than Slovenia does. So I'm glad to be in Slovenia in the sense of I know that this is a very needy place, even though it doesn't quite fit into some of our normal parameters of a people group in the middle of nowhere that has never heard the gospel. Amen. I'm, I want to see, or we as a team and others that we're networking with, we want to see Slovenia as a place that is sending missionaries. We've never sent a missionary anywhere from Slovenia, wow. but that we could have an impact on the rest of the world. So it is us at CompuServe.com. You could get on our newsletter list. We could put you in touch regarding our Facebook page. Uh, pray for us. We would appreciate that. But we will. We, we see it as our role to give you information if you would be faithful to pray. I would imagine, Todd, that your helpmate, Sarah, has just been an incredible incredible part of all this. I mean, we, we can't do what we do without uh, support from our spouses. Talk a little bit about uh, her contributions to all of this and, and the importance of her support. Well, yeah, there's been many times where I've thought, oh, you know, dragging <laughs> this uh, lovely lady around the planet. That's uh, that's rather amazing. But then I'm reminded, you know what, actually, she did have a call to missions far mm-hmm. earlier than I did. When she was a young child, um, a missionary came through a, a Bible camp she was at and just felt like, you know what, the Lord wants me to go, and she didn't know how that would happen, and she was in a very, very conservative church back east. Uh, she actually was planning to go as a missionary, I think, to France at one point, but the missionary who she was connected with was not with her very specific, very specific um, group. And uh, so, well, I guess that isn't the Lord's will for me, but thankfully her spirit remained open enough to that years later when she met me. And uh, she walked with me through the the time of cancer when mm-hmm. we were just uh, dating. Um, that uh, that we were a team going around the world looking for where God would have us. And um, so it's not an easy place um, uh, to live in the sense of spiritually. You know, we, when when we lived in Albania, we always said that 
it took us half our day just to live, just to filter water and clean our clothes and go shopping in an open market. But there was a great spiritual openness. This is back in 1996. I'm not exactly sure about the openness, but I know the church has grown dramatically in Albania. Mm. But in Slovenia, you know, first world country, a lovely place, similar standard of living to here. But uh, but just a lack of uh, spiritual openness. So that can really beat down on you. And some of the cultural things, honestly, you know, Europeans are very um, closed. Uh, if you have a relationship with someone, you probably you probably became friends when you were in elementary school, two, three, four, five people, and you're good friends basically for life. And you really don't move. You know, they, they think we're insane here in the States for just moving all around. I'm thankful our family's been in Modesto out in Wood Colony uh, since uh, 75. Um, but um, but Slovenes stay put, and so uh, it's it's hard for them to open up, and so that's hard for Sarah as well. Uh, just just being at a Walmart here, just chatting with people on the street, it's a very different dynamic than we experience in Europe. Yeah, the... the uh relationships are not the same there's not that uh openness and we, we kind of sense that when when we visited you several now years ago. to be fair they would say that we as americans probably have a bit of a a shallowness you know we know sure. everybody we have friends you know we <laughs> you know we friend somebody of course they use facebook too but friends we regard as as really what are more acquaintances a superficial you know? yeah sensitive you know word, but yeah. you you know what they do for a living and you know that kind of stuff but it isn't like yeah. you're going to go on vacation together or spend you know thanksgiving together or something like that they they have some close friends that they really uh uh, spend time with or maybe they're part of a club or a huge thing over there is volunteer firemen i mean like many people are volunteer firemen as they grow up uh girls boys that's kind of their club and that's where their identity comes from but that also means as you're an outsider coming in um it's hard to break into those circles mm. so that's where you know in in missions today that's the kind of uh, from my perspective, that's the kind of position you need to have is to come in for the long term, not merely coming in, you know, doing an event or doing something. Short-term missions are great, but they're part of the long picture of what God is doing in a particular location. It has less to do with what what the short-term team or even a, uh, you know, a missionary who comes for a couple of years can bring. It's about what God's Spirit is doing and how I can plug into that. So I think that, uh, you know, if there's folks out there who are thinking about missions, and I know that in today's climate of economics and things that are going on, I know that that's hard, but I know there's a lot of young people that are thinking about what they'd want to do with their life. Um, think long term. Think about learning the language and the culture. Think not so much about coming in with a program and uh, here's what I'm going to bring, but in a real humble posture saying, mm. God, what have you been doing here and how can I come alongside that? Amen. And you know, Todd, that works in South Modesto in the airport neighborhood on the west side as much as it works over in Europe. We We have to be committed to the long term. I think a lot of our, what I would call hit and run evangelism has been counterproductive, uh, because it does, uh, foster kind of a superficial relationship. And, but when you're constantly at the table for a long time, and in this area here in the Central Valley, and I'm sure you know this, operates on relationships. Every business operates on relationships. That's who you know, that's how things happen. Yeah, absolutely. And so that, that long-term commitment is, is so important no matter, uh, no matter where you are. Uh, and by the way, mentioning Sarah, of course, her, her brother, uh, our good friend, Dr. Jim Bauck. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, now down in Vista, right? In San Vista, Diego. Vista, a past, pastor at the well, large church down there called North Coast Church, kind of the church that uh, pioneered the video venue model that some yes. people love and some people think is kind of weird. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the church is uh, growing down there, planting many more churches out of that church. Right. So they're doing well as well. Let's talk about Lily for a minute. Uh, I had a conversation with uh, Dan and Annie Erickson. Uh, I had lunch with them um, well, a couple of days ago. And, uh, of course, they're uh, great missionaries to South Africa. I've known them for a long time. Uh, and we were talking about the, the effect upon their children. And it's very interesting because, you know, when you're, when you're born here in the United States, well, I'm an American, you know. But oftentimes for missionary children, they're caught in kind of a netherworld. Uh, they're not, I mean, they, they may have citizenship here, but uh, where do they belong? And we were discussing for, for Dan and Annie's uh, children, uh, some of them feel that they really don't belong anywhere. They're, they're a child of the world. That's right. D- does Lily have uh, any, any of those? A couple of years ago, we took a sabbatical, and we went back to a missionary training, uh, missionary kind of a debrief thing in Colorado. Mm. And Lily was so excited because in her class, which I was thankful they had a class for kids, not just child care, yeah. they had a picture of apple juice and a picture of grape juice. And they said, this picture of apple juice represents your parents' home culture. And for all of you, that's America and uh, all that it is. You know, this grape juice over here represents the culture you live in. And then they took the two pictures and they poured them into one glass mm. and they said, that's you. Mm. And something clicked in Lily's head where she never understood that before, where she's not fully apple and she's not fully grape. She's grape apple or cran apple, whatever your favorite <laughs> mixture is there, um, a mixture of the two cultures. So sometimes when we're here, she'll feel very at home and, oh, I'd like to stay here. And sometimes when we're there, she'll feel very at home and, oh, I want to stay here. I don't want to go back to the States. So she's in this um, interesting mix. And I just like to say that both for kids and for wives, I would say, if you have missionaries that you support, that you know that your church supports, I think in many ways it's harder on them. Mm. Often the husbands have all the ministry connections and the relationships, and they're going off to these meetings and all this stuff, and the wives are taking care of the home and uh, um, cooking the meals. Some of them may have grander ministries. Hopefully all of them are building relationships with their neighbors and all of that, but they can often get forgotten, and uh, very few people seem to take care of that. But similarly for missionary kids, um, they have, they're kind of in this wood between the worlds, to use a C.S. Lewis thing there, where they're neither place. On the other hand, um, you know, statistically they say that missionary kids either, they kind of burn out or they kind of <laughs> don't do well, or they are people who change their world mm. because they really do have a very different um, perspective on things. You know, when Lily will lament, oh, I want to go back to America, you know, at different times, I'll say, you know, Lily, the things that you have seen and done, people in Modesto only dream of. Right. You know, much less your, the kids who are in fourth grade with you or fifth grade, uh, the adults, you know, you've seen so many castles and places and Roman ruins and history, and you've had so much more experience. And the fact that you can speak two languages fluently, the fact that you can function in two different cultures, she's going to have a very different life than I grew up in. You know, mm-hmm. I moved there when I was 33. She's lived there forever, her whole life, her whole life, 
And when people talk to her, her accent is so perfect that they don't know that she's not a Slovene. Wow. Hmm. They know, they never guess that Sarah and I are Americans. They think, oh, are you from Poland or something? We have a different accent. It doesn't sound exactly right. Um, but at least it isn't grating on their, on their ears. How long did it take you to become, to, to get a facility with a language where you were comfortable preaching? In, you know? Well, see, that's the thing. You know, every language has its own level of difficulty. Um, uh, you know, if there were certain language groups maybe more akin to English, we would have probably been functional in maybe a year or so. We did two full years of language school. We had a tutor come to our house twice a week for five years, mm. and we did other studies. You know what? Sarah still has a neighbor. We give her a few euros to just uh, continue working on Slovene with her. But I do remember a missionary, uh, again, from First Baptist who had been in Ethiopia. He said the biggest thing for him was when he started preaching. And, of course, that was... Well, how could I start preaching? You know, I've only been here at that point three years. But but it became a project to where it would take me, I don't know how many hours. Uh, I, I would write it in Slovene because I knew that my, my vocab wasn't good enough to write it in English and translate it. Mm. But I would just write it and do, you know, it would take me hours and hours and hours to write a basic sermon. And then I would go back through it with our language tutor, and she'd correct the 10 trillion mistakes that were in there. <laughs> and then we would actually go back through it for pronunciation. And every single word, I would underline or make a mark over it. And then I would just read it and read it and read it to the point where it was almost memorized and I could get up and give a sermon. Well, you know, I uh, don't know how your pastor preaches, but there's some pastors who are more... You know, you look at, they've got a yellow ledger page and they got three sentences on there and they're preaching. Right. There's other ones who are timed down to the second. And if the worship leader says, I want to, you know, do a, another version of this course, he goes, oh no, okay, well I got to take this out. <laughs> so I just saw it as that, that I was serving the Slovenes in that way. I also gave my first sermon on money and tithing. So I figured that they would forget about the, my bad Slovene because no one ever preaches on that topic and oh, it went very well. So since awesome. then, I've preached in many different ways. But I would just say, yeah, again, to those who are going overseas uh, or ever pondering it, there's such a there's such a stress because you get there and you see the lost, you see the need, and then you see, huh, especially the younger people, they speak English. Well, I could function here. And what happens is over for those who are there for six months or a couple of years, I guess that's that's fine. But those who are there ten years or fifteen years, if you couldn't yet really have a spiritual conversation with your neighbor or preach a sermon or teach a Bible lesson or be in a meeting, then I'd say that 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 wasn't maybe a smart choice at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. let's not criticize those who are there. Thank you for your service. Those who are thinking right. about going, and those churches who are sending people, I think that there's been a swing away from training and preparation. It's more just get out there and just do it. I think that there's a massive. Um, plus, over the long haul of investing in language, culture, adaptation, don't put uh, too many expectations on the missionaries that you send in those early years. Mm. I would doubt that they're lazy people. I would doubt that they're going over there just to have a vacation. I'm sure that they desperately want to serve Jesus, and they're gonna they're gonna work so hard to do that if you would give them the space. And let them walk into a new culture, be able to say to everyone, you know, yes, I'm here, but I'm not going to be getting involved in ministry. Oh, but you could do this and you could do this and you could help in that way. You know what? Relax. Get to know the culture because in the long run, you know, five years down the road, ten years down the road, you will know things. You will see things. You will connect dots that others simply can't. You know, Todd, there's a whole dynamic there, and this is for another program about redefining our metrics of ministry. Uh, I think uh, we've become wrapped around the axle over numbers 
and I think sometimes that chokes God out of the process uh, because there is that time of just becoming part of the culture, developing relationships. And, you know, if, if you think about it, uh, in terms of our, our metrics of success in today's world, Jesus got crucified for his efforts. You know, would, would we consider that consent, you know, success? So I, I think we have to go back, especially in today's culture, and redefine what success is. And I, I believe, I truly believe, it's a lot more along the lines of what you're of what you're talking about here, friends. Just a reminder to get in touch with uh, Todd and Sarah and their daughter uh, Lily is. It is us at CompuServe.com. Again, the email address, it is us at CompuServe.com. And uh, got a few minutes remaining. Todd, how can folks pray for you as uh, you're here for a little bit stateside and then you'll be returning to Slovenia? How can we pray with specificity for you? Well, it might sound self-serving, but obviously uh, the reason that we're overseas is because churches like Crosspoint, Big Valley, other ones are supporting us. So you can pray for our support-raising efforts uh, this uh, this summer. Um, it's interesting that uh, many people are, you know, are in financial straits. Uh, businesses have gone under. Mm. Uh, people are retiring and are on fixed incomes. Others, just different issues. So we've lost some of our financial support. Uh, not due to a lack of relationship. We're still good friends or whatever with those people, but they simply can't afford it. So that's an obvious one for us. And then just some of the major projects related to um, this fall in October, as we often do most years, we're going to have a series of concerts that are um, uh, focused on the Reformation a group, actually from Auburn up near Sacramento, are oh. helping us with that. But I'm trying really to pull in the Slovenes more and more each year into that. So you could pray for that. Um, you could pray for um, the ongoing work of the True Bar Forum. Um, again, it's just this divine key into the culture that 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 has been so underutilized, and and the and the upcoming 500th anniversary in 2017. Uh, we have some big dreams in addition to the normal discipleship relationships, uh, neighbor relationships, um, churches that we work in, going to visit other church plants. So. If you think about us in Slovenia, you can think about church planning, trying to get a church within reach of everybody in Slovenia, but also the missing pieces of prayer and and resources and education that we're trying to pull uh, a network together to build as well. Well, Todd, as we uh, as we close, if we could maybe turn uh, 180 degrees around then and ask you to pray for us Amen. here. Uh, you're you're coming back. In fact, uh, you know the, the the Wednesday prayer time still continues. Uh, with a nucleus of folks, and uh, we're privileged to have you lead us uh, today. Uh, could you pray for us here in the Modesto area? And whether you choose to use English and Slovene or a combination thereof, I'll leave that up to you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for Modesto, Stanislaw County, this region. Thank you for the things that you have done. Thank you for the ways that your spirit has moved in this region in the past and even in the present. Thank you for each church that is shining your light for each pastor for each church planner and Sunday school teacher and Bible club leader and thinking of the teachers this morning who have a heart to reach out to their students. But, uh, Lord, we're tired of uh, Modesto being in the in the bottom of all these uh, surveys of America. We're tired of the crime rate. We're tired of not, not merely in the sense of shame, but our hearts are broken for this city that we call home and this region where we live. So we pray your grace on this city and the mayor and the city council and the county board of supervisors and the teachers and those involved in education and the police and the firemen and all of that. 
And we just pray. Uh, I would pray especially for the churches, Lord. Mm. Pray for the, and not even so much the pastors and the structures and the buildings, but, but the people. Mm. That you would empower your people. Thank you for AVC. Thank you for tools like this where people can actually get their hands dirty uh, serving the city. Would you help people to, um, yeah, open, open their eyes to start taking a drive across uh, the tracks and, and seeing what's happening on the other side? Mm. Building relationships. Thank you for the many ethnic groups that are here mm-hmm. in this city. Ethnic groups probably from countries that most of us will never visit. Some of them from countries that we could not visit if we wanted to. We couldn't even get a visa to go there. So open our eyes to those around us. Help us to be open to those who you are bringing here, that we would be lights for you. We pray your grace on the pastors. We pray your grace on the city ministry network and others who are seeking to bring about change in our city. But we just pray that you would activate. There are so many thousands, tens of thousands of people here in this city and this region who call upon your name, who say that you are their Lord. And I just pray that in the midst of uh, paying the bills and going to a job or trying to find a job and caring for family and all of that stuff, that their ultimate purpose in life would be to become more like you mm-hmm. and to make disciples. Yeah. So help help your church here in Modesto, Lord, to, to be active, to be reaching out, and to be your hands in the city. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, friends, our guest today, Todd Honeycutt. You can get in touch with him at itisus at CompuServe.com. Again, that's itisus at CompuServe.com. And just a reminder, if you'd like to get out and love your neighbor as yourself and really get your hands dirty, as uh, Todd said, in the name of Christ, check our website. Somewhere between 250 to 400 opportunities to serve posted every day at VibrantCommunities.org, VibrantCommunities.org. You can also give us a call at 209-544-9571. That's 209-544-9571. Todd, thank you again. I hope it won't be so many years uh, again before we have the opportunity to talk with you. But thank you so much for spending time with us today. Lord bless you here at ABC and in Modesto. And blessings to you all. Thanks for joining us today on Lighthouse Live. Yeah.